to open your mind and your heart. Welcome to the Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival, with your host, Lauren N. Nile. We can mature beyond today's prejudice and xenophobia. We can save our beautiful planet. The keys are self-awareness, awareness of others, and most important, love. Now, here's Lauren. Well, hi, listeners, and welcome back to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. I'm your host, Lauren Nile, and it's good to be back with you today. You know, as you've heard me say, if you've uh, been listening into my show, my passion, my life's work, really, is spreading the word, spreading the truth about human oneness, about the fact that as human beings, we are all related. We are all one, <clears throat> excuse me, one human family. My passion is spreading the word that, that we are brilliant as a species. And that, in my opinion, we are divine. We are basically, in, in my belief, divine beings, spiritual beings, having a human experience and that it is critical for our survival as a species for us to come together in understanding, in empathy, and in love all around the planet. That's my message. And you can find out more about my message and what I've been doing throughout my life to spread it at, at my website, just my name, laurennile.com. That's also why I wrote my book. Uh, it's entitled Race, My Story and Humanity's Bottom Line. I'm going to be writing other books in the future that are focused on sex and disability and sexual orientation and religion. In fact, I'm working on the book on religion now. But that's why I do my writing as well, to spread that central message about the oneness of humanity and about the the incredible importance of us learning that and maturing into that wisdom. That's why I'm doing this show. You see, my specific passion is to talk about the ways in which we must grow, the, the, the ways in which we must mature as human beings if, if we're going to survive uh, and, 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 and have a future in which we live in peace with one another. Now, in all of my shows, so far anyway, I, I've been focused on the need for us as a species to mature beyond prejudice. And I've been focusing specifically on the prejudice of racism. I mean, we've, we've, you know, sort of referenced other isms uh, because they're all important. Sexism, anti-Semitism, uh, classism, ageism, homophobia, heterosexism. I, they're all very important. We're going to get to all of them. Um, but we've been focusing on racism, you know, on uh, the psychological impact of racism on the targets of that particular kind of prejudice. We've, we've talked about the microaggressions that that people live with, people who are targeted for racism. We've, we've talked about unconscious bias, uh, unearned privilege. We've discussed all of those things so far on the show. Well, today I'm going to switch the focus and sh- spend some time focusing on another ism, and that is sexism. That is sexism. Now, why am I doing that? Well, it's because of what's been in the headlines of the media. And I don't have to tell you about it. If you aren't living under a rock, you've 
heard, I'm sure, of all of the many stories of powerful men being accused of sexual harassment and sexual abuse and um, all kinds of sexual misconduct. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to switch focus today and concentrate on that for today because it is so timely. It's so much in the news and such an important, important topic. Now, it has been said that women are the ends, N-word. Women are the ends of the world. Yeah, I've heard that said, and I, you may have too. Women are the ends of the world. <laughs> you may say, well, that's awfully harsh. Uh, perhaps. But the truth is that the majority of the poor people in the world, the vast majority of those living in poverty in the world are women and children. The vast majority of the undereducated in this world are women. From foot binding in China to bride burning in India to the physical abuse of women all over the world to the sexualization of women in pornography to the incredibly negative images of women in fairy tales. I mean, think about all of the witches and the fairy tales that we read and learned as, as children. From the discrimination that women face in employment, uh, not being given opportunities for the same kinds of jobs that men have. And when we are given those opportunities, are paid significantly less than men for doing the same or comparable work. To the discrimination that women face in housing, to the discrimination that women face in education. Uh, yeah, you may think, well, that statement, women are the ends of the world, is rather harsh. But I think it's the reality. So, yeah, we're going to focus on sexism today because it is an issue around this planet. I mean, just what, three, four weeks ago, women in Saudi Arabia just got the right to drive, to drive automobiles. I um, made a trip to Israel, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so to do some work over there and uh, did some sightseeing, of course, while I was there and went to the Wailing Wall, you know, um, and uh, when I saw the huge space that the men have, about, I'd say, maybe three-quarters of the, of, the, of the entire wall is for men only, and that women are assigned to the remaining maybe 25%, or maybe it's two-thirds and one-third. Anyway, it's a noticeable difference. I thought, even here, in one of the holiest spots on the planet, in one of the spots that is most revered by one of the oldest religions on the planet, women are clearly second-class second citizens. I, my, my heart just sank. And I'm not pointing out Judaism specifically. I mean, we can look at every major religion on this planet and see the same kind of discrimination against women. So yeah, today we're going to focus on sexism. Because we've seen one powerful, high-profile man after another over the last, I don't know, two, year, two weeks or so, be accused of sexually harassing women. 
I mean, Bill Cosby, as it turns out, was just the tip of the iceberg, you know. As it turns out, what Bill Cosby is accused of doing, which was disgusting and horrible, drugging and raping women, it turns out to have been just symptomatic of a culture of sexual abuse against women in at least the entertainment industry, for sure. And, of course, we know it's true for other industries as well. But as it turns out, Bill Cosby was just the tip of the iceberg. Now, and of course, before even Bill Cosby, there was Bill Clinton, the other Bill, who was president of the United States at a time when he was engaged in illicit sexual acts in the Oval Office with a 22-year-old intern. So now, in the headlines, we have heard about Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein. Um, I mean, it's just the New York Times published a, a story you know, in which numerous accusations of sexual harassment uh, were um, reported. Accusations of sexual harassment, obviously, um, uh, by him. We've heard about, um, and these were reports that came out in Newsweek and CNN, uh, after Anthony Rapp accused Kevin Spacey of making a sexual advance toward him when both of them were working on Broadway in 1986. Rapp was 14 at the time, and Spacey was 26. I'm getting this verbatim right off of the internet from the Newsweek and CNN websites. James Toback, the Hollywood screenwriter and director, um, accused of accused by multiple women of sexual harassment throughout many years. Even the 41st president of the United States, George H.W. Bush, is accused of sexual harassment. And indeed, he apologized to an actress after she wrote uh, in a now-deleted Instagram post um, that he assaulted her while she posed for a picture with him. It was Heather Lind who said that Bush touched her inappropriately from behind and twice told her a, a dirty joke. Uh, Chris Savino, the creator of the animated show The Lord House on Nickelodeon, I believe, was fired after a dozen women accused him in a story from The Hollywood Reporter of sexual harassment, unwanted advances, and inappropriate behavior. The accusers also said Savino would threaten to blacklist women he was no longer involved with. He came out and said, I'm deeply sorry and I'm ashamed. He wrote that in a letter that he posted on his Facebook account. Most recently, Mark Halperin, who's a uh, MSNBC contributor, was accused of sexual harassment, including unwanted propositions and kissing and groping women while he was in a powerful position at ABC News. Five women have accused him of such behavior. Um, the list goes on and on. Dustin Hoffman uh, was uh, accused of sexual harassment, including groping and lewd comments. Writer John Grissom uh, accused of child molestation and abuse. Film director John Singleton accused of sexual harassment, including unwanted physical advances. Actor Steven Seagal, sexual harassment accusations. Even the actor George Takai, sexual assault accusations. Senator Al Franken, you most recently heard of, I'm sure. Uh, groping a woman, photographed uh, sexually harassing a woman, uh, acting as if he was going to grab her breasts. Um, Charlie Rose, uh, accused of sexual harassment, fired now by PBS and CBS both. And of course, Roy Moore, 
Roy Moore down in Alabama, who may become the next sitting senator, who is accused of essentially being uh, a child molester, a serial child predator. You know, I have a lot of experience with this issue uh, of sexual harassment, both as a target of it and as an educator. Now, because I've been a target of sexual harassment, this is a very painful subject for me to discuss. Very personally painful. It pushes a lot of personal buttons for me. Because I've been a sexual harassment trainer, I've researched the subject and and I'll share some of what I've learned about the issue with you on the show today. But I've done a lot of training in sexual harassment. Uh, I started shortly after the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas hearings, as I call them, on Capitol Hill in the early 90s. Um, In the 90s, I trained every employee of Howard University in sexual harassment. Uh, I've conducted sexual harassment workshops for clients, for for federal government agencies, for Fortune 500 corporations, for nonprofit organizations, and, and, and many, many others. And I also actually facilitated, during the Clinton administration, the first ever office-wise sexual harassment training by the Executive Office of the President. The first ever office-wise sexual harassment training done by the Executive Office of the President. I facilitated those workshops. And I actually continued training for the White House through the entire eight years of the President, of, uh, President Clinton's administration. In fact, <laughs> by pure coincidence, by pure coincidence, because, you know, workshops at the White House are scheduled months in advance because sometimes the handouts have to be approved by the Justice Department. And, you know, the schedule, of course, is, is very uh, complicated. Um, and so they have to schedule their events, including their trainings, months in advance. So it was, it was just by pure coincidence that one of the sexual harassment workshops that I was scheduled months in advance to do for the White House occurred the morning after the Monica Lewinsky story broke out in the news the night before. I couldn't believe it. That story broke out, that Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton story broke out on the nightly news and the next day. The next morning, I was scheduled to do sexual harassment training up at the executive office of the president. That was one of the more difficult sessions I've, <laughs> I've ever done in my life. So sexual harassment, specifically in the workplace, is uh, an issue that I have for over two decades now researched and, and tried my best to teach others about. As a target, I've, I've been sexually harassed. Uh, I, I'm, I've, I've, I've not, I'm sorry, I've not been sexually harassed on any job that I've ever had. Never. Thank goodness. I've never had to face sexual harassment on any job that I've ever had. But I have been the target of daily, brutal, vile, emotionally debilitating street harassment. You know, verbal street harassment by men of women who are simply walking in public spaces. I first experienced it when I was in my 20s and living in New York City And then several years later, when I moved to Washington, D.C., I really experienced it. Every day, whether I was on my way to work or to the supermarket or the pharmacy or to meet a friend for dinner at a restaurant. In other words, whenever I and and other women were not in our homes, whenever we were in public places, we were leered at by men 
and horribly verbally sexually harassed by them. I mean, it it was so bad that to this day, I still remember some of the comments that were said to me, you know, while looking me up and down from head to toe, "Mm, mm, mm, if I could just get in it. And another one, as I was eating an ice cream cone on my way home from work after getting off the subway, and this was, you know, said while the man had a facetious smirk on his face. You want me to lick it for you? I'll be glad to lick it for you. Followed by a real sinister sounding laugh. It was so bad that at one point I said, I'm a human being. I yelled out at some guys in a car who were harassing me. I'm a human being. I was so frustrated and so hurt and so angry. And what did they do? They yelled back. I'm a human being. I'm a human being. Just taunting me. It was horrible. So I'll tell you what I did. This was all in Washington, D.C. I'll tell you what I did as a result of that kind of horrible, disgusting street harassment right after the break. So come back. I'll finish the story, and then we'll talk about sexual harassment as a phenomenon in the American workplace. See you after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming back. So before the break, I was telling you about my experiences with street harassment in Washington, D.C. By the way, um, a woman probably maybe a year ago or so did, um, you might have seen it, it's online, did a video, maybe, I don't know, a two-minute video, uh, in which she just basically taped herself walking down some avenue in New York City. 
And I'd got a lot of play at the time because it was shocking to a lot of people. Uh, she was, just as I'm describing, the constant victim of the constant target of uh, one comment after another from man after man after man as she just walked down the street in New York. And I thought, my goodness, when I saw that video, my heart sank. I thought, you know, I was in my 20s. I was a young woman in the 1970s when I lived in New York City. That stuff is still happening there. Um, So, but yes, we were talking about sexual harassment and specifically street harassment. We'll talk about workplace harassment in just a few minutes. And I was telling you about my experiences with it in Washington and uh, how horrible it was. And it, 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 it really did deprive me of, of my inner peace. It, it, it was psychologically debilitating because it was so constant. Well, uh, one day here I was riding uh, on the subway from work and I saw a poster saying, are you tired of street harassment? Are you fed up with getting sexual comments from men on the street? Well, come join us. We're going to have a speak out in the park sponsored by the D.C. Rape Crisis Center. And I thought, oh, wow, somebody's actually looking at this issue. It's actually the source of attention by by an organization, the D.C. Rape Crisis Center. Didn't know they existed, but boy, am I glad they're working on this issue. So I went to the speak out. And, uh, of course, there was an open mic after several formal presentations. I took that mic and... <laughs> I let them have it. I told all of the people in that park exactly what it feels like to be the constant target of street harassment. At the end of those comments, uh, the organizer of the event basically said to one of the other volunteers, somebody get her name. And the rest, as they say, is history. From that point on, for several years after, indeed until I left Washington, I uh, continued to uh, volunteer for the D.C. Rape Crisis Center, doing workshops all over the city, uh, empowering women and teaching women how to deal with street harassment. In fact, that's how I met my friend Jack Strayton, Dr. Jack Strayton, who was my guest on this show several weeks ago when we talked about unearned privilege. Jack and I were practicing uh, doing a skit, and he, of course, played the part of the harasser. I played the part of the harassee, and we were in a little bagel shop, and uh, we didn't realize it at the time, but we got a little carried away with our role play and our voices were raised. He said whatever it was he said to me, and I said back to him in a very animated voice uh, with much passion in my message, that's harassment. I don't like it. No woman likes it. Stop it. Well, a second later, we saw every head in that little bagel shop turn around and there was some awfully slow chewing going on at that moment as people looked at the two of us in amazement. Um, interestingly, no one came to my defense asking me if I needed any help. But um, that was a, sort of a funny story about how I met my friend Jack, who's always been a wonderful ally to women, and how I started uh, teaching street harassment and what street harassment defense techniques, I guess, in Washington, D.C. So, yeah, today we're focusing on the issue of sexual harassment. And the comments that have, uh, the reports that have come out most recently are of sexual harassment in the workplace. So let me just um, share with you a little of what I've learned about sexual harassment in the workplace over the years. First, 
Why? Why do people harass? And I'm saying people because harassment is about power. And women in positions of power can and indeed do become harassers as well at times. Some women in power do become sexual harassers. And when a woman is a harasser, it's just as wrong, just as illegal, and just as morally bankrupt as when a man is the harasser. So I want to put that right out there. That said, sexual harassment is primarily a situation in which a man is harassing a woman, primarily, overwhelmingly. As I say, when a woman does it, it's just as wrong. But it's primarily men harassing women, and that's, I think, because men are in the more powerful position by far in society at large. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to now speak specifically about male harassers. Men harass women because they want to feel powerful. For some, it's just teasing. You know, it's a sick kind of, I like to see you squirm. That entertains me. You know, I want to make you uncomfortable. It's about feeling power. Whether it's harassment on the street or whether it's harassment in the workplace or in any other venue, it's about power, feeling power. That's why rapists rape as well. That's a whole other conversation. We won't have that one today. But yeah, men harass because they want to feel power over their harassee, if you will, over the target of their harassment. It's very, very, very rarely about sex, about wanting sex. It's about wanting power. Now, that said, let me let me just say that there's a difference between sexism, sex discrimination, and sexual harassment. Sexism is the attitude, you know, it's it's the feeling, the sense, the belief that I'm better than you because of my sex. You know, in this case, because we're talking about men harassing women, since that's what's in the news media these days, it's the belief specifically that as a man, I'm superior to you. You know, as a woman, you're weaker than me. You're smaller than me. You can't stand up to urinate. You got to sit down every time. You have sex, you become pregnant. All I got to do is have a little bit of fun. You bear all of it. You become pregnant. You have to go through that painful delivery. You're obviously inferior. For a long time, it was believed women aren't as smart as men aren't as capable. I mean, that is the heart of sexism, the deep-rooted belief in the superior of one sex and the superiority of one sex and the inferiority of the of another. Now, is sexism itself illegal? No, of course not. I mean, we you know, we don't we don't put people in jail in this country because of what they purportedly believe. No. But acting on it is what's uh, against the law. You know, the way I say it, the way I think about it is to say, well, sexism uh, is the head, sex discrimination is one arm, and sexual harassment is the other arm. As long as you keep that junk in your head, you know, you're okay with the law. But you act on it in either discriminating against people or harassing people, and that's when you get into trouble. Sexual discrimination is essentially treating people differently based on their sex. 
treating people differently based on their sex. And that could be in paying them differently and therefore uh, probably in all likelihood less than um, someone else of the other sex. And I'll, I, listen, I'm just going to say men and women because that's that's primarily what we're dealing with in the world in which we live. It's it's paying women less than men for doing the same or comparable work. It's, it's uh, subjecting women to different working conditions. You know, um, it's not giving women the same promotional opportunities and training opportunities and hiring opportunities as as men in the workplace. Those are acts of discrimination that are against the law. Sexual harassment, the other arm of sexism, uh, is all the stuff that's being reported in the news. Lewd comments to women, sexually assaulting women. Well, that's, I mean, sexual assault is sexual assault. It's probably the most severe form of sexual harassment, if you will. I'm, I'm throwing these terms around rather loosely. There are more specific legal definitions of all of them. Um, it's unwanted comments. It's grabbing women by their private parts, as our president has bragged that he's done. It's kissing women without their permission, as our president has boasted that he's done. It's engaging in sexual conversations with women that are not welcomed. All of that stuff. It's visual, it's verbal, it's physical, it's pictures and graffiti. That's all. Those are all forms of sexual harassment. Now, next question. Is there a profile of the harasser? Is there a particular kind of person who harasses, particular kind of man who harasses women? The answer is no. Anyone can be a harasser. Anyone can be a sexual harasser. I mean, oftentimes it's the person who has low self-esteem, who needs to try at least, it never works really, but try to boost his self-esteem by putting someone else down. Anybody can be a sexual harasser. Next question, is there a profile of the target of the harassment, the harassee, as we used to say? No. Once again, the answer is no. Anyone can be the target of sexual harassment, no matter who you are. Harassers, though, often target the person who they think is the most powerless, the least powerful. So if it's a man looking to harass a woman in the workplace, he's going to choose the woman who he thinks is less likely to speak up. Okay, she's divorced and got three kids at home. She needs this job. She's not going to say anything. Uh, She's one of those quiet types, kind of shy. She's not going to say anything. That's what they do. They target the one who, in their mind, is the least powerful. Now, how does sexual harassment affect the work environment? Oh, my gosh. This could be a whole class in and of itself. It lowers people's morale, not only the targets, but the people who see it, the people who see it going on unaddressed. It lowers people's trust in the work environment. It, 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 it lowers their loyalty toward their employer. It, uh, you know, causes people to take sides because if the target of the harassment speaks up, some people are automatically going to take her side. Other people are going to automatically take the side of the harasser. Well, she's just being overly sensitive. Nobody else seems to, mad, to, seems to care about that. How does it affect the target of the harassment? In a myriad of ways more often than not, or very often, I should say, 
the person blames herself. She thinks, well, maybe it's something I've done. Uh, I got to look at how I'm dressing or maybe I gave the wrong signals. You know, she starts oftentimes staying away from work, using her sick leave, her vacation time just to stay away from work. And I'm sure thousands and thousands of women have left their job, literally, because of sexual harassment. So if you're a woman in the workplace, I'm talking to you directly right now. Directly. This is what this is what I want to ask you. What do you think is the most common response to sexual harassment in the workplace? Well, you've probably guessed it. The most common response is to ignore it. Most women think, you know what, if I don't say anything, it'll go away. When he sees that I'm not responding to this mess, he'll just give up on it. You know, he'll see that he's not getting what he wants from me. He's not getting a rise out of me. So, you know, eventually it'll just die down. He'll stop. Does that work? No. No. Because if you're dealing with a hardcore sexual harasser, and, you know, there are sort of mild sexual harassers, if you will, and there are hardcore sexual harassers, and if you're dealing with one of them, they're going to up the ante. They're going to escalate their behavior, their comments, their looks, whatever it is, the touching, whatever they're doing, until they get a response from you. That's what they want. So it does not work. It it doesn't work to just ignore it. The result is that it continues and often escalates. So since that response is so ineffective, why do so many women respond in that way? Why do so many women just ignore it? It doesn't work. Well, they respond in that way out of fear. Some fear losing their jobs, but many women just fear being blackballed, if you, if you will, you know, being ostracized by their colleagues. Oh, my gosh, you can't say anything to her. She'll take it the wrong way. She's one of those super sensitive types, you know, always seeing sexual harassment around every corner. Got to walk on tippy toes around her. No woman wants to be thought of in that way, regarded in that way. They just want it to stop. They want the harassment, the behavior to stop. So um, that's often the response to ignore it. That's often the result. It continues and escalates. And so what is a more appropriate, a more effective response? This is very important because I believe with every fiber of my being that if we can get a critical mass of women to start responding effectively to this junk, we will see a decrease a noticeable decrease in the occurrence of this stuff. Now, in saying that, I'm not blaming women. I'm not saying that the reason this is so epidemic is that, you know, women don't speak up. I mean, I I do think it is true that many, many women do not speak up. But one of the reasons why it's so epidemic, I think the main reason why it's so epidemic is that employers don't hold harassers' feet to the fire. Employers don't adequately respond They don't really do what they need to do legally to stop this stuff. So, you know, I I, I think that it's primarily on the employer. But I do think that if women responded effectively, we would see a decrease in the amount of sexual harassment in the workplace. Now, when, when we respond, we have to do so clearly and with strength 
and with um, a lot of you know self determination, we have to show the harasser that I am not intimidated by you. See, harassers don't want to get caught. That's <laughs> that's the last thing they want. They don't want to lose their job over this stuff. They just want to do it and get away with it. So if a woman speaks up about it and figuratively and literally speaking makes enough noise about it you'll see that they begin to behave differently in the workplace now we're going to talk about a specific response that can work and that I believe does work for many women in many situations we're going to talk specifically about words that can be used in responding and we're going to discuss ways in which hopefully you can avoid being a target of, of harassment again in the future if you ever were in the past so we have to take another break now we'll come back we'll look specifically at what we can do about it in response to it and then we'll talk more generally about it also if you have any questions for me feel free to call me at 866-472-5788 866-472-5788 be glad to take your questions on the other side of the break be back in a minute Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi there. Well, we're talking about sexual harassment. I was just about, before the break, I was just about to give some specific ways um, to respond to workplace sexual harassment. The thing is that the target of the harassment must speak up clearly and unequivocally. 
in response to it. Usually, these days in the workplace, sexual harassment, at least the sexual harassment that I uh, responded to by doing workshops uh, in many, many, many different uh, employment settings, nine times out of ten, it was verbal sexual harassment. The kind of harassment that's been reported in the news lately, molestation and unwanted physical advances and assault and groping, uh, those are uh, forms of, of sexual harassment, if you will, that that in most workplaces that I've gone into, and I've gone into many over more than 20 years now, just don't occur anymore. Um, more often than not, it's verbal harassment that I've been called in as a trainer, as a consultant. It's verbal harassment that I've been called in to address. So I'm going to speak to that. And... Essentially, as I've said, the target must speak up clearly and unequivocally. Let the person know, for example, if it's a joke. Every Monday morning you come to work and he's been fishing with his buddies or something over the weekend or watching a football game with his buddy. Hey, hey, I heard another one. I heard another one this this weekend. You want to hear it? Now, many women will shrug their shoulders, roll their eyes, and listen. Uh, because they think, look, I don't want to get on this guy's bad side. I mean, I, you know, we've been colleagues all these years, and I, I have to work with this guy, so I just have to put up with this. No, you do not. You can say, you know what, Frank, Bill, uh, Ralph, I actually don't want to hear hear the joke. I, I really don't like sexual hu- sexual humor, especially in the workplace, but I don't like it at all, really. So I, I don't engage in it, and I'd rather not hear it. Boom. That's it. Oh, I, I, well, I, I don't know why you're so sensitive about it. It's just a joke. Yeah, I know. I know. But th- those kinds of jokes really offend me, and I, I should rather not hear them. Now, my guess is that from that point on, you will not have a problem with this guy telling you sexual jokes again. Have you changed who he is as a person? No, probably not. He's probably going to go find someone else to tell his jokes to. But you won't be bothered with it anymore because he knows, oops, ah, I don't have an easy target anymore. He may also start talking about you to all of your colleagues. You know, that Lauren is kind of sensitive. I just wanted to tell her a joke, just, just, just a simple joke. And she got all sensitive on me. I don't, I don't like sexual humor. And so, listen, just be careful around her. Yeah, he might do that. But you have to just be confident that your reputation precedes you. That people know you, they know who you are, and they also know who he is, too, most likely. And they'll understand. We cannot live in fear. You know, this is, this is topsy-turvy. The bullies, and that's what sex, sexual harassers are, uh, sexual harassers are bullies. The bullies are the ones that are emboldened. And the folks who want to speak up against their behavior are the ones who are often cowering in fear in the workplace. It should be just the opposite. The harassers ought to be the ones thinking, ooh, uh, can, I, can I get away with this here? Ooh, maybe I shouldn't say this here. But no, they're, they're the ones that are just brazen, brazenly engaging in that stuff. Topsy-turvy. Um, if you're dealing with someone who is, for example, and this is physical, brushing up against you as you pass them in the hall or if you're dealing with someone who is looking you up and down 
in the workplace, all of these things happen. They happen every day. I have paid my mortgage many a month because I've gone into an organization. I've been called by an organization to come in and address these very kinds of behavior. If you're dealing with any of those things, once again, you can speak up and say, don't ever make contact with my body again. That is sexual harassment. I don't like it. If it happens again, I'm going to report you to the manager. You can certainly do that. You can also, though, go directly to the manager. You don't have to speak to the harasser, even if it's verbal harassment. You don't have to do what I just said uh, for you to do, what I just recommended that you do. Tell him in no uncertain terms that he's got to stop. No. You might, you know, just go right to your uh, supervisor, you know, so and report it right off. So, yeah, um, you can report it without having spoken to him. And if you do, your supervisor has the legal responsibility to address it and to address it right away, actually. Yeah. In fact, supervisors can be held personally liable for not speaking up. Uh, I'm sorry, for not uh, addressing sexual harassment and other harassment, racial harassment, harassment based on religion, on age, on disability. Supervisors can face personal liability for not addressing it and addressing it in a timely manner. If they knew or should have known, that's the legal standard, knew or should have known, if they knew or should have known that the harassment was occurring. So sure, speak up, but if you're not comfortable, it's okay. Report it. Your employer is also held to the same uh, standard, legal standard. Your, your employer, whether it's a, a federal agency, a nonprofit, a, a, a corporation, they have to act to alleviate the harassment if they knew or should have known of it. So, you know, there are protections out there. And people should use them because, after all, uh, this stuff goes on far too often. Now, if you're a parent, I'd like to talk to you now as well. I'd like to ask you to be aware of the early childhood messages that you send to both your, your little boys and your little girls. Please be aware. So many people have said to me over the years, well, I can't help it. That's just how I was raised. You know, I, I, I could be doing a workshop on sexual harassment or on diversity or on anything. And, you know, someone will say, well, I, I was raised that way. I, I can't help it. So, you know, I, I ask you as parents, be aware of the messages that you send your children about uh, gender and, and our, our roles in society uh, based, based on our sex. Those early childhood messages stay with us for the rest of our lives and indeed can become our emotional template. So, you know, parents try to not only avoid negative messages about uh, women and, and, and little girls and negative messages that, you know, for example, men can't cry, shouldn't show emotion and all of that, but also try to give your children positive messages about the equality of women and men. You know, teach them about women astronauts and, and you know, about men who are kindergarten teachers and, you know, 
about women who are doctors and men who are nurses. Let them see that all of us, regardless of our sex, are equal human beings and that we are, regardless of our sex, uh, deserving of equal respect. Okay? Be aware as well of the implicit messages that, that you give your children. I mean, in, in trainings over the years, especially when I'm focused on, when the workshop is focused on issues of sexism and sexual harassment, um, so many people have said to me, well, you know, when I grew up, hey, whether it was Thanksgiving dinner, which is, of course, tomorrow, uh, or whether it was just a normal day, after dinner, my sisters and I had to stay in, clear the table, wash the dishes, dry them, put them away. The boys, my brothers, got to go outside and play football. Even if we're not saying things to our children that give them the message that women and men are not of equal value, in our actions, in the things that we do, we may teach them that. So it's really important that we show in our actions as well as relate in our words the total equality of girls and boys, of women and men. Because those messages become our emotional templates, our mental templates, and we take those messages into adulthood, into our work environments, and into every aspect of life. So be aware of the explicit messages that we give to our children. We've got to be aware of the implicit messages that we give to our children. And it's also important that we be aware of what our children are exposed to. You know, what they're exposed to in terms of movies and video games and television shows and music. You know, there was a time when gangster rap came out in which, oh my gosh, it, it, it was horrendous, um, and women were uh, basically um, spoken of uh, and referred to as, to use their words, bitches and whores and the C word and every other imaginable thing. Well, I think gangster rap has run its course, but still, to a large extent, our media, our movies, video games, television shows, music, they're all filled with uh, messages that women are not equal to men and are, and are not deserving of respect. The, porno, the pornography industry, the worldwide, is one of the, probably the most uh, insidious purveyor of that message. In fact, I remember years ago seeing, I think it was a 60 Minutes interview with a serial rapist who was in prison. Uh, he was being interviewed, and uh, I guess the interviewer asked him, you know, why did you commit those acts? And and he, ba- he not basically, he said, hey, I was fueled by pornography. I saw those images. I, I, I saw the pictures, and I, I wanted to do those things. And so at least this one serial rapist said, if you want to do something about rape, do something about pornography. Well, that's a whole other conversation again, but um, that's one of the most violent purveyors of the message that women are not uh, are 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 not deserving of respect. So, you know, I I I find it troubling and disheartening and disconcerting 
that in 2017, we are still where we are with this issue. We're still at the point at which women are coming out in droves, reporting their experiences, primarily in the workplace, whether it's in politics or in the, in the entertainment industry or in private industry or in the government. I, I look forward to the day. I, I don't know that I'll live to see it, but I, I do for the women that will come after me and, and for the men as well. I look forward to the day when, as human beings, we can live together in respect for each other. I look forward to the day when we can live together in harmony, understanding that we are all members of the same human family, regardless of our sex, our race, our sexual orientation, our sexual identity, our religion, our disability. I just want this stuff to stop, and I want all of us to live in a world in which we treat each other as the sisters and brothers that we really are. I hope that on today's show, I've given you something to think about. I hope that after this show, you will be able to say, as one of the participants in one of my workshops said to me years ago, Lauren, I wish somebody had told me this stuff when I was in my 20s. I'm in my 60s now, and I'm facing sexual harassment today. Thank you for your message. I hope that this show has empowered you if you are in any way dealing with this issue. It's time for us to go. I thank you for listening in once again to Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. I'm your host, Lauren Nile. Join me again next week. We'll have yet another wonderful show on the oneness of humanity. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. Please join your host, Lauren N. Nile, for another edition of our program next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you right here next week. 